this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be here. I'm a little nervous this morning, to be honest with you. Got that introduction this morning and didn't know how to feel about that, Dave. Man, I didn't know who they was talking about. But it is good to be back in the pulpit this morning. Amen. Thank you. Now, I'm going to go ahead and set you up this morning. I don't have a clue how I'm going to do. I've coughed most of the weekend, and so my chest is sore as all get out this morning. But we're just going to do what we can do. And uh, we're going to let the Lord do the rest, all right? And we've already felt his presence and felt his strength in here. It's so good to have Sister Terry and his ministries today. Ben, you guys have honored me today by coming. Thank you so much. And uh, I told Sister James at the beginning of service that I hope she's the first one in the altar this morning. Me, me and her, we, we'll have to be the first ones. Amen. Oh, I love her to death. And, but it's so good to have his ministries with us. I, I appreciate these guys so much. They're, they're just family with us, and, uh, and we appreciate that so much. I want to do one other thing, if I can, and I know I didn't get permission for this. I figure I can get forgiveness better than I can permission. I want to, and I don't think, uh, I don't think David, David's upstairs, right, David Lawson? Melody, are, you're, you're going to have to come up here by yourself, I think. Where's David at? Is he still? Is he upstairs? Can you can you walk out of that room and just stand on the balcony and just wave so everybody can see? Is that possible? Um, Melody, come on up here real quick. I I, I hate to do this to you, but uh, you want me to have Karen to come up here with you? <laughs> see, I can get forgiveness better than permission. And uh, y'all turn around and y'all turn around and and look at Brother David Lawson. Wave at him real t one good time. He's working. We'll have his wife to come up here. And uh, I know, I know. The, the reason I'm doing this, some of you may or may not know this, this morning was the last morning that we served breakfast here at the church for a while. Now, because we're getting ready to demo, as, as Caleb said, the kitchen. And uh, David, that's, that's David up there clapping. I don't know how long David and Melody has been cooking breakfast for us every Sunday, but they have been faithful every Sunday to do this for us. And for those of you that have come, you understand you get biscuits and gravy and eggs and sausage and chocolate gravy and juice. and Matt, you get a full breakfast. If you don't take advantage of this, hey, you bad luck, I guess. But uh, there's several of us that takes, that takes advantage of this. And I just want you guys to know publicly how much we appreciate that. And I, I know I didn't ask you for this, but I got you guys something, just a little token of our appreciation. We want to let you know that we love you and care for you. Thank you so much. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. While you're turning there, uh, let me just say again. Now, um, I'll probably get real emotional probably during this sermon. If I don't, Sister Mavis, that, that's going to be a miracle in itself. And I'll try not to, but I'm not going to not not to. That makes sense? You know, if, if it comes, it just comes. 
because of some of the things I'm going to share with you and some of the things that, uh, that I feel like the Lord has, has blessed me with. And every song this morning, over the last several weeks, matter of fact, I can't tell you how I have felt sitting there listening to those words that of, concerning the Lord, concerning restoration, concerning faith, concerning healing, and on and on we could go. Because just as sure as I'm standing here today with you, I, it was just as easy that I wouldn't be standing here today. And some of you may or may not know, and I'll share a little bit with that a little bit later on. And so I want to I talk to you this morning uh, about, about miracles. I want to talk to you about things in the Scripture, a very familiar Scripture that you have probably read many, many times like I have, but I've never picked up on this thing that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. And I'm saying I'm, I'm going to do this to set up for a testimony that I want to give a little bit later on during the message, all right? So if you can remember, now your, your, your lesson today and your, your responsibility today is to remember everything that I say at the beginning of this message to the very end, or it will not tie together, all right? So you've got to remember it. That means you've got to listen. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to listen this morning. Tell your neighbor to put up the phones, you know, unless you're taking pictures or something of me, you know, but just put up the phone. And all of that, and pay attention, and all these things will be taking place. All right, now, let me ask you some questions first. Now, hold on to these. How often, just answer this in your head if you can, how often do we witness a miracle and we don't even recognize that it's a miracle? Think about that just a second. How often does the hand of God move in our lives and we really don't even see him moving in our lives? Because if you don't understand this by now, God still moves in the lives of people. We may not recognize it. We may not even understand it. We may not even notice it. But God still moves in the lives of people, even when we don't recognize what he is doing. This, this, this sermon today is, it begins on a hillside where Jesus took a few little loaves of bread and a few little fish, and he blessed it from a little guy's lunch, and he began to break the bread. Now, I don't have fish up here this morning. I didn't want you to smell. But he, but he broke the bread. I don't know how big of pieces, Brother Sam, that he broke or had his disciples, but whatever it was, he broke the bread, and he began to give it out to the people on the hillside. The Bible said on this particular story, there was 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, but 5,000 men, and he began to break, and he began to pass all of these individuals the pieces of bread on that, in that story. Two small fish, bread. The disciples set these people down in groups of fifties and hundreds, and he began to send the disciples out with loaves of bread feeding the individual. The Bible said that after this was over with, that 12 baskets of food was collected and picked back up, and somebody carried it home. I don't know if it was the little boy. I don't know if it was a disciple. I don't know if they found some other families in the town that, that didn't get to come out to the hillside that day. I'm not sure. But they took 12 baskets home. The fact is that unless we're paying attention to what is happening 
And unless the Holy Spirit opens our minds to see what God is doing, then we may not see anything at all. So what are you talking about, Pastor? Think about this. How much then does God move in our lives? And then how often does he perform miracles but we don't see it as a miracle because we're simply not in tune with what's really going on? Now in saying this, I want you to remember these two words. I want you to remember light. Everybody say light and illumination. Light and illumination. It's a miracle, but we're not in tune with what's going on, so we really don't see it. The light, in other words, is not shined upon our life, spiritual light enough to see what's really going on. When you think about this scripture, you can look at all the Gospels, but it appears that that's exactly what took place as the disciples went about breaking bread and breaking fish and giving it to the 5,000 people of men that was there. Matter of fact, they were so busy working to feed the people that it's not recorded anywhere in Scripture that they stopped to think about what was going on. I mean, you think about it. I've got two loaves of bread here. If I was to take the time this morning, Brother Joe, to break bread out and to pass to every one of you, I doubt very seriously, unless I made it real small, that it would last in this congregation. But this pieces, these pieces of bread, in Jesus' day fed 5,000 men. 5,000 men. Think about that. They begin to break piece after piece, but in their work, they somehow didn't really see <laughs> what was going on. I'm sure they wondered every time they broke a piece off, how in the world is this? What is, I'm sure they had to have wondered that. How in the world that I, when I pinch a, pinch a piece of bread off that there's always seeming to be another piece of bread? They had to wonder about it. But you don't see anywhere in Scripture, you don't see them stopping and begin to shout for joy of the miracle that was taking place. You don't see anywhere in Scripture where they begin to break forth in a praise like we were doing this morning for this miracle that was taking place. They just simply kept breaking the bread. They had to have wondered, how's it, how's, this, how's it happening? They had to have wondered, how is this taking place? After the first thousand, you have to say, well, how in the world did I feed a thousand people with this loaf of bread? You don't see them start to, start to shout for joy or praise God for the miracle. They just kept breaking it. Mark chapter 6 Verse 39, the Bible said this. He commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on green grass. And so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and blessed and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all and they ate and they were filled. And they took up twelve basketfuls of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men, the Bible said. Some references, depending on who you look at and what scripture and, and what uh, book that you look at, the references that the women and children probably made up around 15,000 people. We don't know for sure, but let's just say that every man had a wife and at least one child. 
that it would have made up 15,000 people. But when you look at the Scripture, how many of you, when you read that Scripture, do you feel a sense of excitement in that crowd? How many, when you read that Scripture, did you notice the unusual worship that was going on? I can't find it anywhere. They sat down and they ate. I don't need to go here, but some of us is just like that. This is not my message this morning, but this is the Lord just dropped this in my spirit. Some of us, if we ain't careful, we'll come into the house of God and sit and eat and go to the house. That's a good word right there for somebody. It's as though neither the crowd nor the disciples even recognized the miracle that has taken place. So you have to ask yourself, how, how in the world did this happen? The answer is simply this. They were simply too busy. Now listen to me. They were too busy doing the work of God to see the miracle of God in operation. And they were too caught up in completing the task of feeding the people and missed the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach them. They were so busy doing the work that they did not allow the Holy Spirit to let them see what was really going on. The crowd did not see the miracle. The disciples did not see the miracle. All they could see was that they were receiving bread and fish from one of Jesus' disciples. But I would have thought, and you would have thought, that there should have been at least one disciple that would have seen the miracle and stopped and just recognized the the fact that it's a miracle and blessed the Lord. But it didn't happen. They knew it wasn't enough food to feed 5,000 men. Look, if you guys that come to the men's fellowship on a monthly basis, you know how we eat. This ain't going to cut it. We cooked this chicken the other night, Brother Keith did it. You know, you ate it. But we finished that off the next day. And we wanted more. That's not going to feed 5,000. But it's almost as they just took it for granted. Not because not one is recorded. Not one disciple is recorded as stopping even for a moment and recognizing the miracle. They needed some light to shine on them. They needed the illumination of the Lord's glory to shine upon them. Because how many would agree with me, without the Holy Spirit opening your mind and helping you understand and see the hand of God work, you won't see it for what it is. Now what I want you to understand, this happens to us every day, and we don't recognize it. We don't recognize it. Because if we're not careful, we'll take everything that happens to us for granted because our eyes are spiritually blind. How do we know, Pastor, that's what happened? How, how, how do you know that? How, how do you know nobody blessed? How, many you know, how do you know that nobody stopped and, 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 and blessed the Lord? How can we know that the disciples didn't even recognize? Well, if you read on further in Mark chapter 6, he'll tell you. Verse 45, the Bible said this, Immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray, talking of Jesus. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw, us, he saw them straining at rowing, 
for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by and when they saw him walking on the sea they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. And then he went up into the boat with them, and the Bible says the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood. Listen, for they had not understood, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. These were the guys that hung with him. These were the guys that hung around him all the time. These were the guys that watched the miracles when he performed them. These were the guys that listened to his word that come out of his mouth, but they did not recognize the miracle because their hearts were hardened. How many times do we come into the Lord's house and the Lord speak to us just like he done this morning, and because our heart is hardened, we do not listen. We don't hear it. But yet we'll get up and we'll walk away saying, I didn't get nothing out of church this morning. And the Lord all the time was extending his hand to you. And you just simply wasn't extending your hand to his. As soon as the 5,000 were fed, as <coughs> soon as Jesus got through teaching, the Bible said he sent them in a boat to go to the other side. He went to a mountain to pray. Now, I don't know about if you ask questions like I do, but the question I had, then, Lord, why, why did you have to go to a mountain to pray? Why couldn't you just find a place in town where you were at to pray? Why didn't you just find a, get a big tree somewhere and get behind it and pray when you sent the crowd away? Why, why not just pray where you was at? thought about that and the fact that I feel like this morning that we all need to find our place. We all need to find our quiet place to get alone with God and pray. Praying in the church is a wonderful thing. Praying as a group around the altar is a wonderful thing. Praying at the dinner table is a wonderful thing. Praying at nighttime around your bed is a wonderful thing. But sometimes we've got to get to the secret place that you and God by yourself can get along with one another and you can just simply talk to God like you can't talk to nobody else. You know what I'm talking about. When you get along with God and nobody else is there, you, you tend to say things that you don't normally say when somebody's with you. I do it, and you do too. Karen and I, we've been married 34 years. I feel like I can say anything that I want to around her, but do you understand that sometimes when we pray, there's just simply some things I don't want to say. And I don't understand that. I don't know, and I'm sure she feels the same way. It's some of those things maybe I'm embarrassed to say it, Maybe I feel guilty to say it. Maybe I feel guilty of the way I'm feeling or whatever the case may be. But those moments I just simply have to get alone with God and cry out to God. We've got to find our secret place. It's only there that we can really pray as we should. When I'm alone with God, I can pray, and I don't have to worry about if I say it right or if I don't say it right whatsoever. Listen to me this morning, church. Getting to the place where we need to be in God requires you to have a lot of hard work sometimes. It requires effort at times. It never comes without a price that simply must be paid. And Jesus himself, think about this, God's son, Jesus himself recognized that. And he sent the disciples away and he went alone by himself into a mountain to pray. 
Bible talked about as the day began to grow dark, we begin to see the next miracle of Jesus. It began to unfold. According to John 6 and 19, the ship was around three to four miles out into the sea. When all of a sudden a storm blew in, Jesus was all alone on the land, up on the mountain, and yet the scriptures say I, he saw them in distress. He saw the disciples in the boat. He saw the disciples trying to row against the wind. He saw them in distress. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, that gives me hope this morning. I mean, I'm talking about the Jesus where the Bible said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still an omniscient God today. He knows where you are today. He understands what you're facing today. He knows exactly how to come to you in the time of distress to meet your need. Amen. He's still the same God. And sometimes, you don't have to say it out loud, I'll say it for you. Sometimes we feel that we're all alone. But I want you to ever forget that Jesus sees you and he knows you better than you know yourself. Your circumstances doesn't worry him. Your problems doesn't bother him. They might worry you terribly, but that's simply because you cannot see Jesus looking at you from Mount Zion and seeing you in distress. Job 34 and 21 says, For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. So in other words, he saw their distress. He saw them being tossed by the winds and the waves. He saw that they were, that they were doing everything in their power to reach the safety of the shoreline, but to no avail. And he knows about you. He knows about you. He knows that sometimes your mind is distressed. He knows that sometimes your mind is disturbed, almost to the breaking point. He knows sometimes that your spirit is weak as a result of hard fighting or hard rowing against the, the water of your soul. He knows that you're doing everything in your power to remain faithful and to remain true. He knows that in your own power you will drown today. He knows that for every two steps you go forward, the winds of adversity blow you back three steps. And so Jesus made a decision. He saw the disciples afar off, and since the disciples couldn't make it to him, he went to them. Hallelujah. He went to them. Hallelujah. Now, don't you understand? He didn't have a boat. He just went walking on the water. He didn't have nothing to get into. He didn't make a raft. He didn't go knock on somebody's door and say, hey, can I borrow your fishing boat? Nah. -uh. He just went walking on the water. The wind and the waves that were threatened to drown his disciples, but that didn't bother Jesus. You've got to remember that things are under his feet. Hallelujah. Your sickness is under his feet. Your pain is under his feet. Your suffering is under his feet. Your circumstances are under his feet. The devils, the demons of hell that's running after you are under the feet of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. So it doesn't bother Jesus. It's almost as, it's almost as if Jesus went skipping on the water. <laughs> it's almost that he went skipping on the water to get to his disciples. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but there's times and moments in my life where the enemy comes in, Sister Terry, and it seems like the waves are so tall I can't see over them. It seems like it's so rough I can't, I can't get there. But that's nothing to Jesus. He walks on those. 1 Corinthians 15, 27 says, He hath put all things under his feet. There's an old song Fanny Crosby wrote, said, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. 
What Jesus is saying this morning is trying to let us understand that I know where you are. Matter of fact, when Jesus came walking on the water, they were afraid. But old Peter, his faith was increased when he found out that it was the Lord. He was so enriched and enthused about seeing Jesus. He just said, Lord, bid me come unto you. And the Lord said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. He walked on the water. Jesus stepped onto the boat. You know the story there about Peter and him. But after that, Jesus stepped on the boat. And the Bible says the winds and the waves, they stopped. The disciples couldn't believe what had just happened. What manner of man is this that the, even the winds and the waves obey this guy? And the Bible said they still, this, I don't, this gets me, they still didn't grasp who Jesus really was even after all of this. Because their hearts was hardened. Why didn't they know Jesus? Why didn't they see the miracle of the fish and the loaves? Why did not they recognize the man who had walked with them and talked with them and had just performed great miracles on the hillside not more than ten hours earlier? The answer is found there where it says they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. What are you saying, Pastor? They were spiritually blind. So is it possible then for us to hang around the master and be spiritually blind? Sure. Is it possible then that we can come and sit in the Lord's house each and every Sunday and feel an, uh, a presence of God and understand what's going on, but yet we're spiritually blind? Yes, it is. Not, not necessarily because sin, not because they had rejected Jesus, but because of their own lack of paying attention to what God was doing in their midst. Light, illumination. How much has Jesus been doing in us? How much has he been doing in us? How much has he done in us? And we've not even recognized it. We've not even seen it. Just some questions to ponder about. How many miracles have happened in our life and we didn't recognize what took place? I said all that to say, to lead up to the testimony. And I just want to share, some of y'all have already heard some of this because I, I, I couldn't stand not saying it here two or three weeks ago. There's one thing I understand that, and I wanted to say earlier that I so appreciate Dad and Brother Cup and Caleb and Kyle and Bridge, I can't remember who all spoke and, and just kept things going. They, they will never understand how much I appreciate that and what it meant to me for them to... And I'm going to tell you some powerful messages. I'm telling you, God moved. I mean, he moved. Y'all hadn't forgot about that, have you, over these last several weeks? And God has been saying about the same thing for us, about get a hold of some stuff. Get a hold of these things. And that's basically what I'm telling you right now. Get a hold. Get, if your heart's hardened, then get, get it not hardened. <laughs> Find Jesus. There's one thing I understand, and... and some of you will recognize this. As you get older, your body begins to ache. <laughs> Anybody recognize that? Your body begins to have pains in places that you didn't know had a pain. It was during this time that I began to have some issues last year with my throat, just at the base of my throat. Somebody asked me, well, Pastor, what was your symptoms? This is, this is, I'm telling you, this is what it was. I had no idea. 
had a little issue at the base of my throat. It felt like where somebody would come and sort of squeeze it and let go. <clears throat> it would come and go, squeeze it and let go. It wouldn't last very long. I didn't think a whole lot about it at first, but this went on. I thought it was maybe two or three months, but after I got to doing some looking and research, it was about eight or nine months that this, that this went on. It would come and go. After a few months, I began to start thinking about, you know, these aches and pains, and I'm not getting any younger kind of thing. I'm a, I'm a kind of guy that really never did go to the doctor much, didn't even have a doctor at that time. I was always healthy. I was able to do whatever I wanted to do. It seemed like always able to eat what I wanted to eat. Y'all know that already. Enjoyed it, Brother Joe. It was just good, good food, good stuff. <clears throat> so 2019 proved to be a little different than normal these years, latter part of the last year. So as I said, seven, eight months, I'd been dealing with that little discomfort in my throat area. I didn't even know it was, it was my heart, had no clue. I thought, to be honest with you, I don't mean to be funny here, but it is funny. I thought it was just an old fat boy needing some exercise and needing a little better diet, Sister Pat. But I wasn't really wanting to give up the food, or the types of food, I should say. That's really what I thought. Now, looking back, there were times that I probably had some Shortness of breath, but I didn't recognize it. That's where I thought, well, I'm just too overweight. <clears throat> you know, I didn't, I didn't recognize it, so I just kept moving on. I mean, during this time, we remodeled the sanctuary. We done all kind of things. I done all kind of things at the house. We kept going every day. I didn't stop anything. We were ripping carpet up. We was taking pews out. We was painting ceilings. We was on ladders and scaffolding, all that stuff. We, we just kept, kept doing. Somewhere around May the 3rd, I think you told me, Brother Joe, you had triple bypass surgery. He had had some problems and some shortness of breath, and Sharon took him, and they took him right in, is that, if I understand correctly. So I heard about him, and I thought, in your mind, just start playing trick. Well, maybe I need to get a doctor, but I still didn't mess with it. That was May the 3rd. I think it was the very next week or two weeks, Karen, if I'm not mistaken, that John... Uh, he had triple bypass surgery. He had some issues, and they rushed him in. And, and uh, if, I'm, if I've got it right anyway, or the timing down, somewhere, somewhere I think about it, the very next week or the two weeks after, after Joe, then John McCauley, he had triple bypass surgery. And when, when that happened, I get to thinking a little more. I said, hmm, that's two guys that I know about my age. And I was talking to them, what's your symptoms? I didn't know I had no problem. <clears throat> Sometime in September of last year, 2019, I don't know when, I was in the backyard and I was raking up some grass clippings that I had cut and all of a sudden, I, and I got, got to the place, Sister Mavis, now that I could start feeling this little pain come on. Oh, I got this t-shirt, God's got this on. Y'all remember that in just a second. I wanted to wear it today. Oh, thank you. Just in case you didn't get that. All right. I was in the backyard, September, and I was raking up some grass clippings, and I felt this little pain, this squeeze starting to come in the base of my throat. And so I slowed up, but that, this time, Sister Sheena, not only did it stay right here, it went across my chest, but it wasn't painful. It was just a feeling that you knew was not right. 
I went in the house and I told Karen, I said, you know, I just had this issue. And explained to her, I said, I, I, I might need to go see a doctor. So I got a hold of Karen and Abigail and she went and found me John's doctor. And it was still several weeks before I went to see him. Went to the doctor, they checked me out and set me up with a stress test on October the 10th. Got to the hospital, they had ordered the wrong test. They sent me home and got me set up for October the 17th to come back and get the test. Now, I'm thankful for that. I wasn't thankful at the time, Brother Charles, but I, I'm thankful now because the way the test, how it read, this one test wouldn't have showed anything. Because you've got to understand, when I was at the doctor, they'd done EKGs, they'd done everything, and everything come back normal. My cholesterol, everything come back normal. Not a problem. But I'm still thinking it was just an old fat boy. Just need to change my diet. So I went on the October the 17th, and they said, okay, we want you to get on this treadmill, and we're going to put an echo, a picture of your heart pumping, and we want you, get, want you to get your heart rate up to 140. I thought, well, this is not a problem. I've had it up to 140 before. I got on there, Brother Cup, and I got it up to 143. But I was about to die. She got me off the treadmill. She laid me down. She said, okay, take a deep breath and hold it. I took a deep breath, and I let it right back out. I said, I cannot hold my breath. I'm about to die. I've got to have air. I've got to have some, breath. I've got to have some air in my, in my lungs. So she laid me there for a while, and she kept looking at this screen. And I, I'd had a stress test before. And I'm thinking, she's taking too long. It shouldn't be that long to look what's going on. And she kept looking at this monitor and kept looking at this monitor. And all of a sudden, she said, okay, you can get up and put your shirt back on, but go in this little room. And I thought, well, I didn't have to go in no little room before. I got to go home, but now she wants me to go in the little room. So I go in that little room, and I sat there. And after a while, this doctor comes in there, and he said, who's your cardiologist? I said, I ain't got one. Well, who's your doctor? I said, well, I'm not sure what his name is. I just found him just a few weeks ago. But I think he's in Monette. And he looks at me funny like, why, why don't you have a doctor, you know? I said, I, just, I, don't, I don't know what you're wanting me to tell you. And so he looks at this girl and he says, don't let him leave before he finds a cardiologist. And I'm thinking, well, what in the God, God's name? I was there by myself that day, I think. So what is, what is he talking about? Don't let me leave. I'll get up and leave if I want to. But he said, don't let, her, don't let him leave. So the nurse said, just stay here. We're going to go get you an appointment with a the, with the cardiologist. I said, okay. I think I texted Karen at that time. I said, there, I'm in this little room and they won't let me leave. <laughs> and, I didn't, you know, and the doctor came in and said, well, your heart's something about in the front of it. It's not pumping like it needs to pump. And he said, matter of fact, why don't you go ahead and check yourself into the hospital tonight and we'll do a heart cath in the morning. I said, hold up just a second. I said, I come to walk on a treadmill. I didn't come to stay a night in the, ho in the hospital. And I didn't, you know, I probably should have, but I didn't. I said, I'm, not, I'm going home. I said, I'm going home. I can, you can set me up if you want to, but I'm, I'm sleeping in my bed tonight. That was on the 17th of October. October 18th, I went the very next day. I went to see the cardiologist's office where they, they looked at me and they'd done some tests on me and all those kind of things. They still didn't do no heart cath that day. They waited till the October the 29th before doing a heart cath or set me up for a heart cath. That was October 29th. On October 27th, many of you will remember this, I preached in this, in this house, and I've got to hurry here. My time is slipping away. God moved in the altar call. It was a, it was a wonderful service. 
It was that day on October 27th where I felt like God's telling us that there was a shift coming in this house and in us as his people. And I want you to forget that. There was a shift that was going to be coming. Now here's the thing. I told you earlier, Dad preached on it one, one, one of the services. We know that. We know that's what God said, but you still have a responsibility to pick it up and do something with it. They broke bread and they didn't recognize the miracle. They had it in their hand all the time. They didn't recognize it. Shift is coming, but I've still got to do something with it. October 27th, that took place. I went to leave the stage to pray for somebody right over here, and God says, don't leave the stage. Get out of the way and let your people minister to whoever you're going to minister to. And I said, and I'm wrestling with this in my mind. I said, God, what are you talking about? I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to lay hands on people. God said, not this time. Get out of the way. Some of y'all will remember I backed up right over here by David, and I just bowed my head, and I'm, and I'm, I'm still, I've got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm praying, God, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. But I recognize what you told me to do. I want to get out of the way. I want you to understand, I'm your pastor, I understand that, but it's not all about me. It's not. It's about you. And God is wanting you and I to pick this thing up and to go with it where he wants us to go with it. You understand what I'm saying? Not just me. Not just dad. Not just one of you. Uh -uh. If that's the case, we can shut the doors. God's not going to do anything with us. You, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care your age. It doesn't matter. If God said he's going to give a shift, then we've got to shift with him. I'm not going to work against the flow. I want to be a part of that. That was the 27th. October 29th on a Tuesday. I went to have the heart cath. Went in there and everything was fine. I'm laying back there. They're doing this heart cath. I'm watching everything on the screen. I don't have a clue what I was looking at. Little cardiologist come over there and he just patted me on the shoulder and said, well, buddy, looks like we're going to have to open you up. That's how he told me. I looked at him and I said, could you say that again? He said, we're going to have to open you up. going to have to crack your chest. I said, why? He said, well, you've got three blockages. And he said, I could stent one of them. He said, but it won't hold. I said, he said, he showed me on the monitor where this stent was. And, I, and I'm thinking, well, it, it doesn't mean nothing to me. It looks normal. He said, so we're going to have to open you up. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm trying to process this. Karen and Adam was with me that day, and I come back, and they come back in the room. They was able to come see me, and I cause they have to lay there two or three hours for the for the for they can take the plug out where they had the stent. I mean the heart cath. And Karen was she's all excited. She said, "Hey, you're done already." I said, "Yeah, but Karen, they got They told me I'm, they're going to crack my chest open." And from then on, it was sort of like I'm trying to wrap this thing in my in my head now. I don't know if Brother Joe and them had those, some of those same feelings or whatever because their time was, they didn't have a lot of time to wait and think about it like I did, but I'm sure they felt some of the same things, John and, and Brother Joe. So we set a meeting up with the surgeon on November the 5th. After that meeting, the surgery, the surgeon set my a date up. I was thinking, okay, we'll go in there and, and it'll be about a week, Sister Terry. We'll go have this thing done. I, w I still wasn't thinking what kind of surgery I was going to have to have. <clears throat> so they went in there and they set a date for December the 11th, which is about a month and a half 
from where, where I was. And it sort of rattled me a little bit. I got, to be honest with you, Sue got a little mad. Well, you wait so long. If the doctor wants me to check in the hospital that night, then what are you putting it off so long for? Sort of upset Karen, and I think Karen texts Dad and all these kind of things. And during that time when we got out of the doctor, and I grabbed Karen, and I said, let's just pray. I grabbed her hand. I said, God, you, you know all about this. And I said, we're just going to put my life into your hands. It wasn't just a few minutes. Dad called me and said, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. And he said, Karen had let me know what the doctor said. And he said, be honest with you. He was sitting in his living room. He said, it sort of bothered me. And I was fussing a little bit. And he said, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit come in the bedroom. And God wants me to tell you, because this is what he told me, that I'm working even when you don't think I'm working. I'm working even when you don't think I'm working. When he told me that, I can't, I can't explain to you. I've never really had this happen to me like this. I've preached about it. I've sang about it. But there was such a peace that come over me. Karen and I both, after I told Karen what he said, there was just a peace, and I, it was okay. Everything was fine after that. Everything was fine up until that. I'm, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that all, every day was, was, was fine. There, there was two or three moments, Sister Kathy, that fear would try to grab a hold of me. But it, it would come and it would go. And I can't, I can't even honestly tell you that I, I, would, I even rebuked the fear. It would just come and it would go. But there was a peace, an overwhelming peace, can't explain it, that come over me. Even up to the surgery day, we got up at, 3.30, 4 o'clock that Thursday morning, we drove. We had to be in Jonesboro at 5 o'clock. Karen and I were talking. I still am okay. It didn't bother me that I, you know, that I was going to have to have surgery. What I came to understand is the day before my surgery, my mom's brother, his wife, my Aunt Tammy, my uncle said that, I don't know if it was one time or, or two or three times, I'm not sure, that Tammy would wake him up and she'd be speaking in tongues and praying for me, calling my name. And so Bubba said, are you uh, talking in your sleep? Are you praying for Danny? She said, I ain't been praying for Danny. And Bubba said, yes, you have been. She said, two or three nights now, you've been calling his name and praying. Well, I don't know how, where, where, when this happened, but, but she began to actually really pray and she began speaking in tongues, and God told her that God's got this. Now, that was the day before surgery. During surgery, everything went fine, uh, as far as I know anyway. Uh, I, I didn't know anything that took place. But anyway, we had people down at the hospital and all of that. I came to understand that, uh, and, I, and I'm, are y'all okay? Okay. I came to understand that, and I didn't know this, that my heart stopped twice. I didn't know they had to shock me back twice because of some medication that they'd give me that they'd give every patient. But whatever happened because of an AFib or whatever worked opposite on me, and it stopped my heart. Now, I don't know how long my heart had, was stopped. I, it couldn't have been that long, I don't guess. Or, uh, but anyway, they tried to shock me back. Uh, it, none of that worked. And the doctor finally had to grab, grab my heart in his hands and massage it back. Now, I've... I've pretty much wrapped my head around having to have surgery because, Kurt, I walk in front of the mirror and I see the scar every day. I, so I get that part. What I hadn't wrapped my head around yet is that doctor grabbing hold of my heart and massaging it back to beat. I didn't know that for four or five days. 
after surgery, Brother Joba, when Karen told me that, I felt so bad for Karen and, and the kids and everybody else that was in the room, how they felt and what they were going through. I felt so bad for them. I was thankful to be alive, but I felt so bad for them. The day after surgery, I think it is, they were in the, in the room. I think it was, when I said something to Dad, my aunt called Dad and told him, said, look, I need to tell you something. I don't understand what this means. Maybe it'll mean something to you. And she said, while I was praying, God told me that God has got, that I've got this. Quit worrying about Danny. I've got this. Well, when she told Dad that, he said, yeah, it does mean something because God told me the same thing. So it was a confirmation of what God had told him. Now, I, I had some wonderful, wonderful nurses. Annie was one of them, and bless her heart, she's, she's a gem. She kept my dignity intact. Thank you, Annie. I can't say that for every nurse, but for Annie, my dignity's still good with her. <clears throat> But I had some wonderful nurses, wonderful staff who took care of me, and I, I can't say enough about them. During this time, it wasn't but a day or two after that, I was up walking, and they'd done all those kind of things, that I developed an ileus in my stomach where my, my stomach locked up, my bowels locked up for three days. I couldn't eat anything, couldn't drink anything. They wanted me to have a, a bowel movement before anything took place. But, it, but I'm thinking, well, you're not giving me nothing to eat. How can I have a bowel movement? Ain't got nothing to eat. That's not nothing to talk about this morning, though. But play good, Chris. Play good. Cover it up. <laughs> but it was miserable. I've never felt anything like that. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. If you've had that, you understand what I'm talking about, but I wouldn't wish it on anybody. That was worse than the heart surgery. So they put an NG tube up my nose. They, they, that one little nurse, I don't know who she was, Annie, but she messed my nose up. Now, she was sweet, but she messed this one up. I'm still suffering with that one, but the doctor finally came in there, and he went on this side and got it in my, but they pumped, and it wasn't just a matter of a few minutes where they pumped a lot of stuff out of my stomach, and I, I felt better, but for three days, went through that. So after a few days in ICU, because at first, I just wanted everything quiet, I didn't want no TV on. I didn't want nothing. But after, I don't know when it was, three or four days, I feel like God gave me a talking spirit. And, man, I talked to everybody that come in that room. I didn't care who they was. I didn't care. You take blood out of my finger, I'm going to talk to you. You're going to walk me, I'm going to talk with you. And I would talk to everybody. But what was interesting to me is that everybody stayed. It, it, was as if, it was as if, Annie, they didn't have nothing else to do but listen to me. They would stay 15 minutes at a time, 30 minutes at a time. And I'm thinking, matter of fact, I even told one guy, I said, I know you're busy. So if I need to hush, just hush me up and go on. And he just, he just stayed. And every time I would talk, I would end up somewhere along the line talking of Jesus, talking on the grace and the mercy of the Lord, and how fortunate I was to be around, how fortunate I was to be alive, it, it, it was, it was, I don't know, it was more real. This is, this is, it, I knew it all the time, but it was illuminated more. You understand what I'm saying? It illuminated my mind and my spiritual mind more. Of, and, and I was keen to listening to the voice of God probably more so than I even today. 
And I would talk, and I would talk about the goodness of God. And every time I got to notice, and Sister Terry, every time I'd done that, I felt my body strengthened. I mean, I felt it being strengthened. And I would talk. Man, I would just talk. My little PT guy that comes in and walked me, he was a great guy, but there was one morning, Brother Keith, he was late, and I got on to him. I said, where have you been? <laughs> Number one, this night is long. Get me out of this bed. I couldn't get out of the bed. I said, get me out and walk me. He said, man, I, I'm sorry. I said, well, don't be late tomorrow. Get here. Get me up. The hospital, I was real emotional. There's still times I still am, but different ones came to visit. Of course, Mom and Dad and Brother Tucker from uh, Mark Tree, Brother Dr. Westbrook, and I think Ronnie and Deborah, and I, I'll probably miss some of these. Adam and Catherine, of course, and Caleb and Abby and Karen and Abigail. and The ones I remember... Uh, Annie and Brother Watson, Brother Majors, there's one particular man that came that I wouldn't have never expected him to come. Hadn't been around him, hadn't spoke to him in a while, and I still don't understand why he came, but Brother Raymond Britt, who is a retired minister in the state of Arkansas, he just showed up one day, Brother Cup, and I was laying in the bed, and I felt bad that day. And he stood there with his, you know how Brother Britt used to stand, he stood there and, well, Brother Danny, how are you doing? I looked at him, and that caught me. I, I couldn't, for a minute, I didn't know who he was. And it hit me all of a sudden. I said, well, Brother Britt, what are you doing? He said, well, I just wanted to come and see you. And this is what he told me, and I still don't understand it. And I don't want you to feel like I feel like I'm something. Get that out of your mind. I'm not. I'm just telling you what he said. He said, Brother Danny, I wanted to come and tell you that God said that you're still the man of the hour. You still got some work to do. And he talked to me for probably 10 or 15 minutes like that, and I'm trying to process, Brother Britt, what are you talking about? My mind goes back, Mavis, about the shift and me getting out of the way, and all these things are running through my mind, and he come over, and he grabbed my hand, Dad, and he had a, such a wonderful prayer, and I felt strengthened after he left, and there was probably others that came that I didn't know Karen was with me the entire entire time. I couldn't have I couldn't have done it without her. I'm gonna tell you she's she's been a rock to me. She may have not thought so, and she's probably the first to tell you that this is just what I'm supposed to do as a wife. But she's she had been a rock to me. I can't explain the strength that she gave me. There would there'd be times that I if I wouldn't embarrass her, I'd get her up here and show you. There'd be times I just went up. I'd go up to her and I'd just lay my head on her shoulder, just like a little bear or something, you know. I don't know. But that brought strength to me, knowing that she was there. Now she don't do a whole lot for me. I, <clears throat> she, she makes me fix my own food. Brother Larry and I have to put my own socks on now. I had to say that. Like I said, I'd get in my chair and I'd sit most of the time. And let me hurry. Finally, after all of those things were taking place, they moved us out of the ICU unit and uh, down to the step-down unit in the old part of the hospital. My job, my job there, a little nurse come in. Her name was Lindley, Lindley Wilkes. She come in and said, this is your job. You've got to get up and take a shower, mostly by yourself, and you've got to have a bowel movement. Okay. 
So she brought the towels and she brought these sheets and all this kind of stuff in to put down in the floor and all that. And I said, okay, I have to get up and take a shower. But that was hard. You know, it's hard to do that when, you're, when, you, when you just got the heart surgery. And, uh, and so we done what Lindley wanted us to do and got to meet her. And she'd came in and was doing all kinds of things. And every time she'd come in, I'd start talking with her, getting to know her. She was, she was not a nurse, but she was a, a tech. I don't know what they call them. If it, is that right, a tech? But she was studying to be a nurse. And, uh, and so she'd come in, and she, I would get up out of the bed, and I would sit in the chair, and I got to talk to her and say, Hey, Lindley, tell me about you. Tell me about your family. Are you married? She'd say, Yeah. said, I'll tell you how bold and stuff I was in the hospital. I, I wasn't, real too, wasn't too smart, but I was bold. So she had told me that she had grew up Catholic, but that she was going to Central Baptist in Perigo, one of the one of the branch of the Central Baptist. She told me that earlier, and I said, "Well, are you married?" She said, "Yeah, I've been married for five years." I said, "We've been together for ten years." And I I stopped her. I said, "Well, let me just ask you a question." I said, "I'm not trying to be ugly." I said, "Because I know how the Catholics feel about people living together. So why are you living with that boy for five years before you married him?" She says, I didn't say we lived together. We was just been dating. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I got it then. I was going to set her straight. I was going to talk to her. Going to help her. So we got to talk. I said, well, tell me about your family. She's got a little boy, a five-year-old boy. I said, tell me, about your, tell me about Christmas. Tell me about your Christmas traditions. And she started crying. She says, well, this is going to be hard this year because I just lost my dad this past June and we were always a close family and it's going to be hard. And she got to crying. Was I already emotional? I've been getting the ball with her. She had been telling me about this and all of a sudden God began to show me some things quickly. I mean, it was like a speed thing in my mind. And I said, Lindley, I said, I may not supposed to ask you this, but can I pray with you? She said, I would love it if you pray with me. She come over by my chair, and I grabbed her hand. Karen and Abby was in the room with me at that time. And we come over, we grab one another's hands, and we begin to pray. And Lindley began to cry even more, and I began to cry even more. And I began to ask God to touch her, touch her family with the loss of her dad, touch her mom, give them strength, let them have a good Christmas, all of those kind of things. We got through praying. Lindley said, she says, I, this has never happened to me before. She said, I can't explain to you what this means to me. I can't explain to you how I feel and what you've said and how you've prayed for me, not even knowing me. This has never happened to me. It was all of a sudden, it was like God just bam in my mind. Now, this is not going to be a major thing where it's going to knock you off your horse, but it was major to me. And I get back to this thing about sometimes miracles take place and we don't even recognize it. We don't notice it. But God opened my eyes to that one. And I said, Lindley, and Karen can tell you, she said, she, she said my face just changed all of a sudden. And I said, Lindley, do you understand what just took place? She said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, I'm not telling you that God made me have a heart problem. I said, that's not what I'm telling you. But God used this situation. 
He used this Ilias that I had for three days that would keep me in the ICU because I was already supposed to be out of the ICU. He kept me in there so I could meet you. And we could have an opportunity to come together. And we could pray together. I don't know you, but I have an opportunity now to know you and pray with you. And God began to open my eyes so vividly to the fact, God, you're working little miracles every day. And I don't even notice them, God. And God began to show me this, show me this thing with Lindley and about me and how he put this thing together. And at that moment, I said, God put on my spirit this message, matter of fact, about God's got this. And I thought, we, 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 we'd talked several times more. We cried together. We laughed together. We talked more together. She'd come in and just shut the door. And just, we'd just talk. And I was thinking, how, God, can I demonstrate to the people how you show mercy and grace to us all the time? How you can, how you can use a supernatural meeting actually a natural meeting to do a supernatural thing. And I said, the only way I know how to do this is to bring Lindley to church and let you meet her. Now, she was scheduled to be here today, and I, I'm so disappointed that she was not able to be here. I was going to bring her in from the back, but she called me yesterday afternoon or texted me. They got her working in St. Bernard's. I don't know who to call to fuss at them, but whoever it is, let me know. But they had her working yesterday and today because of being shorthanded. But, but this is what she said. She says, Brother Danny, please still share our story. And I said, I will. I'll share it. She said, because that's never happened to me that way before. Now, I hope I can get her here sometime. But God used a little young lady by the name of Lindley Wilkes to help me as a pastor to see his work see his mighty move. And I guess is what I'm saying to you this morning. I know my time is gone. But what I'm saying to you this morning is if you're here today and you don't think that God is working on your behalf, he is. And God could be using me today to let you know and explain to you that he's still working even when you don't think he's working. He's still has got this. He's got it. He's got it. And no matter what we think that we're going through, no matter what we think that we're faced with, no matter what we think that we're feeling or experiencing, he's still got it. He's still got it. I can't explain to you the peace that I felt before surgery. I can't. I'm thankful that I did. I'm so thankful that I did. I can't explain to you the, all the, the, the ifs and the whats and all of those things concerning all of these things. Can't. But this is one thing I know. My God is faithful. He's merciful. And I'm standing here before you today as a miracle. I'm telling you that God brought me back. The thing about it is I don't understand what he wants long range in that sense. But I know this. He brought me back for a purpose. And he brought me back so we could experience the shift together. 
And I'm asking you as your pastor, don't let me do this thing by myself. I want us together as a congregation to pick up and latch hold of this thing and move forward to what God has got in store for us. That means if, and I'm just going to use Chris, that means if Chris plays the keyboard and he's an awesome keyboardist, then he's got to do it better because he's going to pick up on this thing. That means if you're a singer, I've got to do singing better because I'm going to shift with this thing. I may have to change the way I, I used to do it. That means if I'm a good preacher, I may have to change my, my way I do things in order to improve to get along with this shift. That means I don't have to do the things that I've always done. It doesn't have to be the way I always done it. It doesn't have to be the same old song that we always sung. It doesn't have to be the same old prayer that I've always prayed. I've just got to get somewhere with God and sometimes, Bridget, I may be in a boat and I may be in distress, but I've got to know that somewhere up in the mountain, God sees me. And because I can't go to him, he's coming to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's coming to me. And he's coming walking on the water. He's coming full of wisdom. He's coming full of power. He's coming with the answers that I need. And so really, my responsibility and my job is I've got I, I to grab a hold of him. And I've got to understand by faith, believing God, you got it. You got it. You got it. Now let me get real personal real quick and we're going to close. In the hospital... And I'm sure it's a human thing. Joe and John can tell me. I'm sure it's a human thing. Sharon probably can tell me better. But there were times, Brother Joe, that two or three occasions where I got so emotional because of what could have happened. You know, not really knowing the unexpected. What could have happened? What, what could have Karen been going through? What could have Abby and Abby, Adam and the family been going through had it not happened this way? What could they have been facing? You know what I mean? If, if it wouldn't have turned out the way that it did. And, I, and I, don't, I don't know if I've said this before. I've said it in a few other services, but those nights in the hospital were so long. I mean, they were horrendously long. I, can't, I, I, I'm ne I don't never, Andy, want to spend another night in the hospital. Not because of you. Just because they were so long. And y'all need to put a clock in those rooms. Do, tell, them, tell them to do that for people. You have one now? Good. And every, behind, every time somebody would come in, I'd say, what time is it? I mean, as soon as surgery is over, Knessa, I asked, what time is it? I want to I wanted know where I am, what bearings. I want to get my bearings. What time is it? I want something to go by. But in those nights, I would lay there, couldn't sleep, and I would pray, Brother Keith. And I say, God, I just want to thank you. Thank you. I've preached that you're a merciful God. I've preached that you're a faithful God. But now I know for me. Now I know I, I'll never pray for somebody else like I used to pray. I'll never think about somebody else the way I used to think. And when they have a need, God, and I lay hands on them, I'll never pray for them like I used to. It'll be different this time because of what I've went through. And, 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 and many of you have that same testimony of, of things that you've went through with your family and with your husband or wife or whatever the case may be. The point is this. 
I don't know when the Lord is coming. I don't. I believe it's soon. Sister Terry, I do. I believe it's soon. And so I don't want to miss it. I, 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 I don't want my heart hardened and not recognize what God is doing. I don't want my heart hardened and not hear the trumpet. You, you get me? I don't want my life doing good things, but I don't understand what God is doing. I, I missed Marilyn the miracle. I missed it. Don't, I don't want to go through life that way. I wake up these days, and it's a new day every day. I'm thankful, Brother Joe, and you probably are too. John is, I'm sure. I'm thankful for the day that God has given me. I'm thankful for the grandkids that I can hold. I'm thankful that I can hold my wife. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm telling you this morning as your pastor, I'm just giving you my example, but the truth is you've got those examples and God has laid those out in front of you. He does it all the time. Don't miss the miracle. Don't miss the miracle that God has placed in your life. Don't miss the miracle that he's given you. Don't miss it. You say, well, pastor, okay, but you don't understand where I've come from. I don't have to. You don't understand where I've been. I don't have to, and I'm not judging you today. I'm just telling you if, if that touches you and it grips your heart some way, then make it right. Make it right with God. God's not judging you. And I'll tell you this. I, I'll be bold enough to tell you. If you've got anybody else in this church that comes up and wants to judge you, you tell, them, tell on them. Tell me. I'll fuss at them because they didn't die for you. They didn't hang on the cross for you. Amen. Jesus died for you. And I have no reason to condemn or look down upon you for who you are and where you've come from. The same God that saved me is the same God that saves you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And so God's got it. And God's working when you don't think he's working. I want you to stand. I want you to bow your heads real quick. Thank you, Lord. All heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't, I don't want to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. If you'd be honest with me, if you'd be honest with yourself as you stand before the Lord today, you say, Pastor, I don't want to miss it. I want you to see your hand. I, I don't want to miss it either. Whatever God's doing in my life, I, I want to be open to that. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand and put it right back? I want to be open to that, Pastor. I want to see the things that he's doing in my life. You can put your hands back down. Thank you. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I'm not living the way that I need to live before God. I recognize him. I know who he is, and I want to do right. But I don't know that I'm exactly where I need to be. But I want to get there, and I want to know that God has got my back. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and put it right back down? 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. One other question. Pastor, I've been coming to church for a while. Matter of fact, I was born and raised in church. But I need that light or the illumination of the Holy Spirit to shine upon me more than ever today. I feel so cold at times. I feel so indifferent at times. I feel like at times God doesn't even know where I am. I know he does because I've been taught that, but I feel that sometimes I, I don't know that he recognizes where I am, and I want to. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and put it right back down? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. There were several of you all over this building that raised their hands. And I believe with all of my heart that God is doing a work in you right now. Would you just grab a hold of that person's hand one more time that you're standing beside if you don't mind doing that? Holy Spirit, have your way in this house today, we pray. Father, you saw every hand that was lifted up today. You saw those, God, that wants to be saved, that wants to do right. You saw those, Lord, that does not want to miss what you're doing in these last days and with them. They don't want to miss it. You saw those, God, that had their hands lifted up, that they want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you got it and you got their back. And I pray right now that as we're holding the hands of our neighbors today and our families today, God, that somehow in some way you would touch them. You would strengthen them today as never before. God, if there are those in our house today that possibly didn't lift up their hand, but yet in their, in their spirit they wanted to, but for some reason they just didn't get the strength to do it. But they know things need to change in their life. Father, please, don't let this day pass without them calling out to you to call upon your name. You said in your word that's all we've got to do is call upon your name. You said that's all we've got to do is simply trust and believe on you and we shall be saved. Now, God, we're believing today. We're trusting. We're asking you into our life, into our heart today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Help us to surrender everything. Help us to surrender everything, O oh God, in our life. Help us, O oh God, to let everything go that is holding us back from experiencing your faithfulness and your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise today. Now, I want you to understand something before we go. And you say, well, Pastor, you should have had an altar call that many hands. You should have got them down at the altar. I understand. But in my spirit, I didn't feel that's the way God wanted us to go. I'm just telling you the way I felt since this morning.
But if you raised your hand for any of those three questions that I, that I asked this morning, listen to me. Don't, as you walk out the door, don't let this service leave you. Don't let, it, don't let it leave you. Take it with you. Get alone with God somewhere. I promise you, if you'll get alone with him, he'll reveal some things to you. Don't let him have to put you on your back in a hospital staying all night. It's too long. I'm not saying God did that for me, but while I was there, Brother Bud, he helped me. He taught me some stuff. He showed me some things. He helped me as a pastor. He helped me. And my faith in him, Sister Marilyn, has grown. My love for him has grown. That's why when they sing some of these songs up here, I, I'm just in my own world. I get alone with him and say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Don't let it leave you. Hold on to it. Get a hold of it. Make those changes. Let the shift happen in you. And then get on board. Don't be content just to come and sit. Don't be content just to come and pinch off the bread. Does that make sense? And miss the miracle that God wants you to have in your life of how in the world did he feed 15,000 plus people with a fish and a little few little loaves. Don't miss it. This is just an example, but he does things in our life every day that's just like this, and we miss it because our hearts are hardened spiritually and not sin. We just take these things for granted. We take what God is saying to us for granted. Don't do it. Don't do it. Amen? Amen. Oh, I feel all right. God bless you. We love you. Don't forget about tonight, 5 o'clock, all the announcements. And also don't forget about the 22nd. This is for men and women. Hey, we'll, we'll take anybody who wants to come and haul something to the dump. God bless you. We love you.